Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and in your pew Bible, that's page 829 if you'd like to follow along. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's an honor to be preaching this morning. Friday, I just got to celebrate five years of marital bliss with my beautiful wife, Heather. That was uh, on the 14th, and now my first Father's Day. So I'm super excited to be able to preach on this day about fatherhood, Um, and so I'm just really honored to be here preaching this morning. A couple weeks ago, uh, Jim asked me if I knew what I'd be preaching on. I said, that's easy, an endless slideshow of my nine-week-old. I don't know what's so fun. Slide one, please. This is baby Daniel. <laughs> Little Daniel sporting the uh, Superman onesie. He really likes that one. Um, Daddy does too. Um, and so there's some more pictures. We've got Daniel here. There's, some people say we look a little bit alike. Some people say that. There's another picture of, of me and Daniel. Um, so we have a lot of fun in the house. Um, and I love these pictures of him. I love when people say, Oh, he kind of looks like daddy, or I think he looks like dad a little bit. I don't let them know that, but I'm like, yes, that is awesome. Like, it warms, it warms my heart when people say, oh, I think he looks like dad. And I'm sure there's people who could testify to this as well. I love that he looks like me, but really there's more to it than that. It's not that I just want him to physically look like me. There's things I want to teach him. And I think every parent goes to it like, oh, I can't wait to teach him this or that or this, whether it's something physical like a sport or an activity or whether it's some kind of a life lesson, they want to teach their son responsibility about the Lord, teach them all these different things in life. So it's not that I just want Daniel to look like me. I also want him to look like me in another non-physical way, to teach him responsibility, work ethic, these kinds of things. And I want him to grow up to look like me in other ways. Well, there's something greater in our text this morning that Paul is pointing to, and it's that fathers are agents of growing their children into the likeness of Christ. So whether Daniel looks like me down the road or whatever he chooses in life, what I'm interested in is that he looks like Christ, that we as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being made into his image by one degree to another to look like Christ. So there's something far greater, and that is that fathers are called out here specifically as agents of growing the kingdom one child at a time, one father at a time, one child at a time, growing this kingdom. This morning, I want to break down this passage into three points that just kind of fell into place. How not to father, how to father, and how fathers are enabled to actually carry this out. Would you pray with me again? Father, we ask now that you would demonstrate your power through your spirit, that you would challenge us, specifically fathers in this moment, but also encourage us through Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask this in his name. Amen. So I felt, you know, it's always a little odd when you're preaching on like a Father's Day or a Mother's Day because you're really speaking specifically to one part of the audience this morning. But I feel like I'm in good company, because that's exactly what Paul's doing. He's writing this letter to a church, a group of believers like yourself, but he takes a moment to call out fathers specifically. 
just as in the previous, in chapter 5, he calls out wives and husbands specifically. So I feel like I'm in a little bit of good, good company here, since this is what Paul's doing. So as I'm preaching this morning, I hope that fathers hear this crystal clear, but I think this will also encourage everyone this morning. But I want to look at this first point, how not to father, okay? It says in this first part of the verse, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, I don't think Paul is saying, never cross your child, don't ever make them upset, don't ever make your child cry, if they want something, just give it to them. I don't think he's saying that. I think Paul's fully aware of this idea that children don't always get what they want, and they get upset about it. I think Paul's getting at something else. I mean, really, if you think about it, all children don't really like course correction, right? I know I didn't. You know, my parents had a special spot in the house where the belt hung, uh, right? And over top it said, I need thee every hour. You know, it was one of those things where, like, it was, it, it had to keep coming because <laughs> I needed it uh, really, really a lot. And I'm really thankful that my parents did that, that they would take time to discipline me and guide me. But a parent will know children don't always take fondness to that. Children don't always want to be led. We know the, the uh, well-known proverb, train up a child in the way they should go or the way they are going, and in his old age they will not depart from it. And yet we know children don't always like to be guided back in, lovingly guided back into that line. So here's the thing. If Paul understands that children get upset, if he understands that there's going to be temper tantrums and all those things, if he knows that, then what does he mean by not making them angry? What is he getting at? Well, in the Greco-Roman law, and this flowed into Hellenistic Judaism as well, there was what was called patria protestus. Patria protestus, which means power of the father. And some would even say absolute power of the father. In the household during this time, fathers commanded great authority, and they had it. They had it under the law, this great authority. Here's some things they could do with their authority. They could imprison their son. They could scourge or shame their daughter or son. They could sell their son into slavery up to three times to get money. And also, their son if their son became a magistrate, their father still had control, could actually shape law through their, through their son. That's how much authority they had over the son. This authority often played out in harsh rebuke, criticism, unfairness, condemnation, and even public and private humiliation. This extreme authority that the fathers had was causing great issues in the families. And Paul's saying the authority shouldn't be leading to anger like this. What's fascinating is Paul doesn't say, hey, fathers, I know you have this authority under the law, but you don't really have any authority. In fact, in Ephesians 5, he just said how fathers are the head of the household, which is the same kind of language the Roman law documents use. It talks about head of house. We even, in our tax code, still use this, right? Um, but he's... He's, he's not saying, fathers, you don't have any authority. No, he's saying you still have authority, but it's done completely different. Your authority is not to be heavy-handed with your children and cause them to be angry. No, no, no. Your authority in the house is to teach them and to guide them and to die for them. That's what he says in Ephesians 5, to, to lay down your life for your wife and to even die for your children, to die for your family, to die to self. The, the, the authority the father has is one to say, this is what we should teach. This is what we should learn and to do it with faith and humility. So Paul's not saying you have no authority. What he's saying is it's done completely different. It's not 
through the secular realm of being heavy-handed, but to love. In Colossians 3.21, which is a parallel passage to this, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And really the idea is the same there. When a father creates a standard that their child cannot obtain, and they're heavy, they never pride them, they never say, I love you, it's always, well, you've got to do better, you've got to be better, you've got to be better. What's going to end up happening is usually two things. Rebellion, and they, they go away from the parents, or they feel defeated, useless, no self-confidence, no aspirations to do anything. They either rebel or they feel defeated. And Paul does not believe that parenting should look like this. I saw an interview recently with Chipper Jones. Love baseball, big baseball fan. Been following the Braves for a long, long time. And it was on a show called Driven. It was during a rain delay. Uh, and they were showing this. And it was an interview with Chipper. And it, uh, and it would show the interview. And then it would cut to a completely separate interview with his father and then his mother and other people in his life. And it was sad that Chipper talked. I mean, just openly spoke about how his father never told him he did a good job. His father never encouraged him. Um, it was always him wanting to be better. And Chipper said that he knew his father loved baseball. So he actually tried. He was playing baseball about 11 to 12 months out of the year, trying to be the best baseball player so that one day dad would say, I am proud of you, Chipper. And then it, Chipper actually said the time he heard his dad say this. And then it cut to the dad's interview where his dad was saying, yeah, I was after this big national tournament, he was talking to Chipper's mother and said, you know, I really think that Chipper might be in the top 10 of his age group in the country. And then it cuts back to Chipper, and Chipper said, when I overheard him say that, it just melted my heart. Something like, he didn't say that word because he's too tough to say that. But it, it said something like that, right? But the key word there is overheard. His father didn't tell him that. He overheard a conversation that his mom and dad were having. And I don't know if him never getting those affirmations and feeling loved and and his father encouraging him in healthy ways. I don't know if that, I can't say that that's why he had issues with adultery or issues with violence. Most people don't know that his draft was in danger because he broke his fist from fighting in high school. He had problems with fighting elsewhere. Um, and so I don't know, I can't say that for sure, but I know that if a father has a level and that child is trying to reach that but never feels affirmed, never feels loved, never feels like father cares for him, it's going to lead to rebellion or defeated attitudes. And so Paul is saying, this is not how you should father. Don't abuse his authority to be heavy-handed. But fathers are to use this authority differently, to exalt Christ with their words and their behavior. And so now there's a second point. How do you do this? Okay, that's not... Don't exasperate your children and make them rebel or be uh, defeated. But then, okay, how do you do this, Paul? And he spells out in this other part, if you look in the verse, Ephesians 6, 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This verb here to bring up is actually the same uh, term for nourishing a plant, like you would nourish soil, give it the elements the soil needs to grow plants, nourish them. It's also the term used for a nursing mother, but for Father's Day's sake, we're going to go with a plant motif uh, this route, and for my own sake. Uh, so, but it's this idea of nourishing, of nourishing, okay, the, to raise up. So what he's saying is, is raise up these children, grow them up in two ways, discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Um, any English people out there who like this kind of stuff, uh, I'm using this as a subjective genitive. That this, the discipline and instruction, Jonathan Newman, thank you very much. <laughs> the discipline and instruction of the Lord is actually, what that means, that of the Lord means it's flowing from the Lord and really in essence has aspects that this includes the Lord, that the Lord is present in this discipline. And we'll talk about that in a second. So discipline here, the word in the Greek actually means total education. It's the same word. I don't know why we use discipline exactly, but it's the same word for tutor or educator. If you read through Greek documents, you'll see that this word is used for tutor or for educator. The only thing I can think of is if we translate it as discipline, as if you're talking about a, a branch of knowledge. So if you say sociology is a pretty new discipline or science is a fantastic discipline, you could talk about education that way. But this term is actually referring to an education. And so what Paul's saying is discipline or education, tutoring your children or educating your children should contain the Lord. It's of the Lord, which means the first point that he's making is that fathers are to educate their children on the things of God. Scripture theology, church history perhaps, and the gospel. Teaching their children the gospel of what Christ has done on their behalf, that they would know Christ and recognize him in scripture. They're to educate. Christ, basically what Paul's getting at is that Christ permeates everything in this model as the father. As the father has this authority to teach our children, it's, he's permeating Christ in everything he does. Deuteronomy 11, a well-known passage, says, You shall teach these things to your children, talking to them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That what that verse means is that the talk of God, the talk of Christ, is permeating the house. It's, it's permeating everything you do. And this is what Paul's saying. That the first component of fathering is to be the primary educator of the things of God. Teaching your children, exalting Christ, and filling them up with these things. Second way that Paul outlines this is instruction of the Lord. And this term in the Greek has a much narrower focus. And what it means is it has this idea of counseling or admonishing uh, to to maybe guide them back into a right understanding of things. This is more of the true sense that we understand of discipline. You know, Daniel's not behaving. This would be this idea of instruction, bringing him in, counseling him of how to get back onto the right path. And what he means here is that this should be Christ-centered correction. Christ-centered correction. So you have Christ-centered education, that you're teaching them Christ-centered uh, theology, scripture. And over here, Paul's not saying Christ-centered correction. Christ-centered correction. Now, I think oftentimes what I find is that we're, it's very easy for us to slip into correcting by fear and pride. Fear and pride. So, for instance, if I was going to teach Daniel not to steal, it'd be very tempting for me to say, Daniel, don't steal because you'll go to prison. And maybe his eyes will light up like prison and scare the heck out of him. Uh, don't, you don't want to go to prison, right? So, Daniel, don't steal. But all that is is fear. Well, I better not steal. I don't want to go to prison. 
So his driving motivation is fear. I don't want to go to jail. Or I might say, you know, we're watching the news, the local news, and there's someone who's caught stealing at a local grocery store, and they're being carted off in the handcuffs. I say, Daniel, don't steal, because you don't want to be like that guy, right? And there'll be a big temptation, and now it's pride. It's like, well, I don't want to steal, because I don't want to be like that guy. I don't want to be like those people, so I don't want to be like that. This is easily... This is easy to creep into the way we instruct um, children. In fact, I even know of some college students over the years that I've been doing ministry who would say things like, you know, I didn't have relations with my boyfriend or my girlfriend because we didn't want to get pregnant. Fear. Well, I don't want to get pregnant. That's their driving motivation for not having sex before marriage is, oh, I didn't want to get pregnant. Or you might hear them say, well, I didn't... I didn't have sex, relation, sexual relations with my boyfriend or girlfriend because then I'd have to tell people that I messed up. And that's embarrassing. It's shameful. You know, it's pride. So the two driving forces there are, well, I didn't want to get pregnant. I didn't want to look shameful. You know, pride and fear are, dry, are big reasons for us not to do things. And I think Paul's saying it's completely different. I think what Paul's getting at here is that this instruction of the Lord means this. Asking the question of does this honor the Lord? So really what I would hope is, I'd say, Daniel, does it honor the Lord when you take other people's things? Does it honor the Lord? And hopefully he'll say no. So the driving motivation is, is this God honoring? Not will I get busted or I'll look bad, but will I honor the Lord with this action? And that is, I think, what Paul's getting at. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was watching the Braves, and uh, B.J. Upton was up to bat. I don't know if anyone follows Braves, but he's having a horrible season. Uh, at the time, he was batting about a buck fifty, and that's only because it wasn't moving. And he, he strikes out at the plate, and he takes his helmet off, and he slams it on the ground. He takes his bat, he slams it on the ground. And it's a funny thing when you become a parent. You start looking at everything, you're like, how would I teach my children with that? And so in my mind, I saw myself turning to Daniel when he's like five now in my brain, and I say, Daniel, we don't act like that on the baseball field. But then what I've just instilled in, is, in him is you don't do that because you don't want to look like those people. You don't want to look like that. You don't want to look that way, like B.J. Upton. When I really should ask, Daniel, does it honor the Lord when we throw the things that he's entrusted to us on the ground like that? Is that God honoring? Do you think that honors the Lord when we act that way? And hopefully he'll say no. And so Paul, I think, is getting at it's not about just behavioral modification, making our children look a certain way, not do certain things, say certain things, not say certain things, but about heart modification. Fathers teaching them the gospel so that the heart is changed to where they see everything. How does this honor the Lord? How can this benefit the kingdom? Now, the, the trick here is that you have to have the first part, teaching them the gospel, teaching them the things of, the Christ, of Christ. Because if you don't teach them the gospel, then this just becomes legalism. Well, I don't do that. I don't, I, I, I'm right with God because we're good. No, what Paul's saying is you have to teach them the gospel so that the question becomes, in light of what Christ has done, in light of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Christ, does this honor the Lord? It has to flow from a right understanding of grace and mercy and what Christ has done. And that's what Paul's getting, these two things. Teach them the gospel, teach them the Bible, teach them about who Christ is, and then they'll start to understand how they ask the question. In light of Christ dying for the world, purchasing the church, 
How should I live? And I think this is what Christ is getting at. And really, Paul's saying this because our children need their fathers. They need them to do these two things. In fact, we've got a video we'll, we'll play, just a little sweet video for a moment. Dad, Dad, hey Dad. I want to be rich and good looking. I want to be rich and good looking. I'll need you to challenge me. I'll need you to challenge me. To be rich and good works. To be rich and good works. I'll be focused on building my career at all costs. I'll need you to show me how to put my family ahead of work. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll need you to teach me to honor God. I'll need you to teach me to honor God with my time and resources. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth. In love. In love. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll want to treat girls how the world tells me to. I'll need you to show me how to honor them with all my actions. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me to Christ when no one else will. <laughs> I love that video. And it's so, they're crying out that they need their father. Now, if only children that age knew that and knew all the things that they just said on this video, they don't often say it like that, but we know they do. And Paul's saying this is what fathers are commanded to do. These are actually imperative commands in the Greek to, to raise up their child in this way because they do need all of this. But if you teach them all those things without an understanding of the gospel, it's, it's dead works, as scriptures say. So all of that hinges on them understanding the gospel, understanding what Christ has done. So I think Paul has outlined these first two points, and we'll finish the third here in just a moment. How not to father. Don't exasperate them. Don't have these lofty expectations that no one in the world can live up to that only make them angry and rebellious, depressed. No, that's not how. But train them. Teach them the things of the Lord. And when you correct them, correct them with a view of how this honors the Lord in the light of the gospel. And then finally, how are we enabled to do this? Because if you're like me, as I've been gearing up for the sermon, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is an impossible task. Being a father, I mean, it's so weighty, it's so nuanced, there's so much to do, so much to know, so much to learn. How in the world can I ever do it? And I would go so far as to say it is impossible with me, but with Christ, it's possible. By his strength, by his power, by his might, it's possible. Now, my third point isn't from the text, it's from the larger context of the book of Ephesians. Because it's easy to read imperative commands here, like this one. Uh, Fathers, raise up your children. It's an imperative command. It's easy to read that without all the indicative of what God has done in the first three chapters of Ephesians. So this book is set up in that the first three chapters, Paul is telling them all of what Christ has done, and then he's, he's saying, in light of this, this is how the church ought to look. This is how families ought to look. And so what I want to do this morning is simply read some of the passages in the first part of Ephesians. I think this will be an encouragement to everyone who is in Christ in this room. But fathers, what I want you to hear specifically is that 
If you are a believer in Christ, you are already equipped with everything you need to do this impossible task because of Christ. So I just want to read these passages, and I hope that this encourages you uh, as it is me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I am overwhelmed by the weightiness of being a father but even more so encouraged by what I have in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is encouraging because fathers, as you go and you try to teach your kid about the Bible and teach them theology and the things of Christ, you're already gifted with everything you need to accomplish this task. That encourages me. That revs me up. That gets me ready to go and do this. There's another, there's another player in this that I want to point out, and it's a behind-the-scenes player, and that is the church. If you know anything about Ephesians, you know this is a cyclical letter that is written with the intention of being passed around to multiple churches. So a congregation like yourself. And the theme of Ephesians is in light of all that I just read, and that was only snippets from the first two chapters. In light of that, there should be Christian unity. The church, how is it run? It's all about the church. And what I would say is fathers, Not only do you have the Holy Spirit that has sealed you and has equipped you with everything you need for this task, but you also have the church. You have us to help you with this. Because 
there's some fathers even in this room who I hope to emulate. Um, there are fathers in this room who do a great job of what I just shared. But if we're honest, there's some fathers who would say, you know, Micah, I, I would love to do that, but I don't know theology. I don't know how to interpret the Bible. Good news. The church is here to help with that, to equip you, to disciple you, to help you see how to do these things with your children, with your family, with your wife. And so maybe it looks like a group of fathers getting a small group together, and they meet, and they go through a theology text. So they can say, okay, I'm starting to get how this all works together. Maybe I, these are some things I can teach my children. You don't have to have it all figured out. No one's, when you become a believer, no one's like, boom, I all of a sudden know all that there is about theology. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Even after seminary, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, so be of good cheer. Not only have you got the Holy Spirit to equip you for this weighty task, you have the church to help flush it out, to disciple you. This is good news, and this warms my heart. This encourages me. You know, I've been thinking about planting a garden. I actually talked with Tim this Tuesday and I sat down in his office and picked his brain about uh, gardening. I have no clue. I mean, I would love to do it. I'd love to have like a self-sustained backyard, which probably is impossible. But I really want to do it. The thing is, I have no clue. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go talk to a, a Tim. I'm going to go and I'm going to research um, I went to the Extension Center website, started looking at stuff they've got there online, which was really helpful, about when to plant crops. I'm starting to learn, right, because I want to do this. Fathers, if you want to raise your children in a way that's going to honor the Lord and help them to see the beauty and the exaltation of Christ, get equipped. It's okay that you're not. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. But then how can we as a church equip you? I think this is so important, and I hope you hear that. But be encouraged, you can do it in Christ. Right now we're going to sing some, some songs. We're going to have a little bit of extended time. Um, I'm going to pray. But before I do, as I pray and as we sing, what I would hope is, I hope that you would, if, especially fathers, I hope that you would think about what you're doing with your family, what you're doing with children. Maybe this is a, a time, a hymn of response, where you think, okay, I'm not doing this as Paul's outlined. How are some ways I can do this going forward? Where do I need help with this? Who can I talk to about maybe getting some good resources to actually know how to teach the gospel and the Bible and theology and the things of Christ to my children? But also, I want this to be a time of praise where we thank God for what he's done. In light of all that he has done, we're actually able to carry out this task. So let me pray and then let us sing. Father, you are good. And the fact that we can call you Father is a miracle. And we thank you for the blood of Christ that covers a multitude of sins. I pray now, Lord, that as we sing, that we would praise you for you're worthy of it. And I pray, Lord, that if anyone here needs to make a decision, whatever that may be today, that they would come forward. And especially our fathers, Lord, thank you for fatherhood and that office you've given the church. I pray, Lord, that fathers today would be cut to the heart, challenged, but Lord, by your gospel, sewed up again and healed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.